Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. This is Pentecost Sunday. You've seen the graphic on the screen already, I'm sure. Uh, Pentecost Sunday. This is one of my favorite days of the year. It truly is. This is a powerful, powerful day that is incredibly relevant to us as believers in Jesus Christ. It truly is. It's, it's uh, uh, And honestly, coming back into this message off of vacation was a real treat for me to be able to get to talk about this first thing, right? After being refreshed, I get to talk about one of my favorite things. Come on. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit transformed the world. We need to realize that. Truly changed the nature, the divine nature of God's interaction with mankind. We need to understand that. that, This event galvanized the church and began a work that continues to this day. The presence of the Holy Spirit changes things, doesn't it? It changes things. I know if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've put your hope, your faith, your trust in him for your eternal salvation, you have encountered the Holy Spirit and he changes things. Amen? Amen. I'm going to get you guys talking today. Amen? Amen. Amen. But did you know that, that the, the, the first time we think of when the Holy Spirit came down in Acts chapter 2, that wasn't the first time that God had done something special on that exact day. Did you know that? There is a treasure here for you today if you are a Bible student and love to dig into the Word of God. There's a treasure here for you today in what God wants to show you. It's something beautiful, but it's something simple. Okay? It's something simply beautiful, in other words. But to really explain it, I have to take you the long way around, okay? So I'm going to move through a lot of scripture, but I'm going to to do it kind of quickly, okay? So we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 3 briefly, all right? And then we're going to jump into uh, Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 32, okay? So if you want to get ahead of the game and look in your Bibles, turn those Bible pages, let me hear those thin pages flip. I love that sound. Or get on your app and pull them up, right? We'll be in Leviticus 23. We'll be in uh, Exodus 19 and Exodus 32. And that's just for starters. Like I said, we're going to go the long way around. So it's a lot of scripture, but I'm going to try to move at a good pace so it'll all come together, all right? So three points in how this is relevant and what we're going to cover today. Can I see this first graphic? Three points. This was a significant day for ancient Israel, and we'll talk about that first. It's also relevant to us, as it was relevant to them. It was, uh, it was significant for the first church. We are, as Christians, typically we know that, Acts chapter 2, right? But this is also a significant day for you, and we're going to tie it all together with a nice bow at the end for you. So let's discover what it is that God wants you to remember and what he's trying to tell you about what he's doing today. You ready? Are you ready? Yes. All right. I said I was going to get you talking. Nobody even... Okay, Pentecost was a feast day for ancient Israel. 
We talk about feast days. We Typically at Life Story Church, we love to talk, teach the feast days because they are commemorative of something that God did for his people, but they were also prophetic, okay? And the menorah, if we can see that picture, the menorah has seven candle stands or had, would have oil lamps in them in the temple. And each one of those candle stands or oil stands would represent one of these seven feasts of the Lord where God wanted you to remember something he did, but it was also prophetic about what he was going to do and prophetic about how he was going to do it. So Passover, we remember the blood over the doorposts in Israel as the death angel passed over. And then we just talked about this on Resurrection Sunday. That week, Holy Week, then Jesus became prophetically the lamb that was sacrificed for all, right? So commemorative, yet prophetic, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus was in the tomb, fulfilling that, taking away the sin of the world. He rose from the grave on the Feast of first fruits, being a first fruit of the dead. And so this, today's message really ties into Holy Week. It's just that we have to wait 50 days to get to it, right? So this is a Feast of the Lord. They were set by God, not only commemorative in a historical context, but also prophetic, the first three that I just mentioned were in the f- first month, they point to the Messiah's first coming. The last three in the seventh month, potentially, and this is conjecture, potentially point to Jesus' second coming. The middle feast highlights the church in more ways than is generally recognized, and we're going to talk about that today. There is a rich, rich background a rich background to be discovered in studying these, these feasts with many surprises for the biblical believer. What we'll get into today, though, trust me, it only scratches the surface. So I wouldn't, what would make me the most happy is that from what we study today, it inspires you to look into this a little bit more because uh, there's more to it than I can even get to. But the feasts of the Lord were to be public dress rehearsals for divine appointments, the timing of which were to be signaled to us by the sun, the moon, and the stars. The Feast of Pentecost begins here in Leviticus chapter 23. Let's read verses 15 and 16. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths. Now, normally I would read that and have no idea what it was talking about. I always thought Leviticus was the most most boring book in the world. I'd always get excited that I was going to read through the entire Bible in one year, and then I'd get all... be doing great through the first five books of the Bible until I really got to Leviticus and I'd lose my steam, right? Until I discovered that this is really one of the most prophetic books in the Bible. Count seven Sabbaths. That is seven. There's seven days in a week. I'll break it down for you. Times seven, that's 49 days. After Holy Week, count 49 days. After the Feast of First Fruits, Jesus rose from the dead, right? The Feast of First Fruits. Count 49 days, there shall, shall be completed. And then on that 50th day, verse 16, count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. This is known as the counting of weeks, the counting of the Omer, the Sifirat Helmar in Hebrew. Counting of the weeks. That's why Pentecost is sometimes referred to as the Feast of Weeks as well. Verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap. Verse 22, for you shall, for nor shall you gather any gleanings from your harvest. 
Underline that if you're an underliner. Pam, I know you're watching at home. You love it when we say to underline something. Underline that right there. The gleaning from your harvest, you shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Okay, verse 22 is a hint towards future events for us. Okay, remember this because it's a hidden jewel for you tucked away in Leviticus. So why count the Omer? Why is God telling them, all right, here's what I want you to do. Here's these incredible things that we're doing. We're remembering. Remember the Passover. Remember the Feast of Unleavened Bread, first fruits, yada, yada, yada. But before we get into anything else, count for me 49 days. Oh, and then add one more day. What is this all about? Well, beginning right after the Feast of First Fruits, after the first Omer, 10th, was brought into the temple, the, into the temple, the holy temple, the counting of days began. All right? The Israelites were commanded to count off the 49 days, then feast on the 50th day. All right? The final countdown to the feast on the 50th day. Traditionally, why? Traditionally, the period of the counting is a time of spiritual introspection, a time of preparing oneself for this special day of celebration. So before rushing into things, he said, take some time and look within yourself and prepare yourself for Shavuot, Pentecost. Much like a caterpillar in his cocoon readies himself to fly, looking inward from the inside out. It is a remembrance for them of the journey from Egypt to Sinai. Does anybody remember what was given at Mount Sinai? All you Old Testament scholars. The Ten Commandments, I heard it. The law, and what happened on that day when the law was given? Well, truly, what happened was Israel became a nation. Commemorative of the day that the law was given, commemorative of the day that Israel became a nation. Why? Why do we say this? Because you cannot have a nation without laws, church. You understand that? Chuck, you understand that, don't you? And you can't have a nation without the enforcement of laws either, can you? Have we seen that around the world? We've seen examples of that, haven't we? Uh, I'll tell you what, we see this truth bearing out in our nation today, don't we? What did we see all last summer, right? These defund the police initiatives, didn't we see that? Defund the police, defund the police. What did they do? They defunded the police in these major uh, metropolitan cities, right? They defunded the police. What was, what was the fruit that that bore? Can anybody tell me? Lawlessness. Crime is through the roof. Do you know that the, just the first part of the numbers from last year are out, and we won't know the final numbers until closer to the end of the year, but last year alone, murders in the United States of America are up by 20,000. I'd say maybe defunding the police might be a bad idea, Right? I probably didn't help that they also released 200,000 criminals uh, from jail, 40% of them being violent criminals as well for COVID reasons. Still, I digress. Look at the lawless policies on our southern border. I mean, you look at the crisis that's truly happening right now on the southern border. These U.S. cities on the border, they're under siege. They're overrun. 
family farms that have been there for generations, and they've always dealt with it to a degree, but they're literally being overrun right now. You don't see that on the news media, but it's the truth. What do we see? What have we seen about? Uh, remember last summer, uh, politicians were bailing out Antifa rioters, people that destroyed cities like Kenosha and Minneapolis and everything else. They were arrested. What was the response? The police was defunded, and politicians started uh, bail funds to get them released. And many of those that were bailed out then went on to commit other crimes and became a part of that statistic. Meanwhile, they're holding people who. They shouldn't have done it, but they trespassed it. They trespassed on January 6th into the Capitol building, and they're still being held without bail or seeing a judge yet. In solitary confinement, that's happening right now. This is what happens, church, when law, when there is when there are no laws, and when those laws are not enforced, there is no nation. Chaos is the result. Somebody said lawlessness. Yes, lawlessness is the result. Chaos is the result, but that's their plan, isn't it? It is their plan. Did you know that from Scripture comes the very idea of government in three branches? Let me just, on this, on this uh, uh, rabbit trail here, let me just offer you this. <laughs> Did you know that the idea of government in three branches comes to us from the Word of God? Isaiah chapter 33, verse 32. Let, let's read that. For the Lord is our judge. What's that? The judicial system. The Lord is our lawgiver. What's that? Congress. And the Lord is our king, the executive branch. That's where the founders got the idea for this three-branched system of government. There's a reason that in the joint chamber, there's a picture of Moses in the back of the room. He will save us. He will save us. But we need the judge, the lawgiver, and the king. Amen? Our entire justice system is based on Judeo-Christian values and laws. But which, by the way, were written with a finger of fire relative to context in which we're speaking today. Deuteronomy chapter, uh, I don't have it in the slideshow, but Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 10 tells us they were written with a finger of fire. Somebody said the Ten Commandments already, right? Is there any wonder, church, is there any wonder why they are under assault by the godless leftist ideology that's infecting so many levels of our culture right now? It's no wonder. So Exodus chapter 19, let's read verse 16 and 18. Then it came to pass. I heard a Bible page, I'll wait. Exodus chapter 19, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning. Underline that, on the third day. When? The third day. When? In the morning. That there were thunderings and lightnings. Put a pin in these. Remember these, all right? Third day in the morning, thunderings and lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of a trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. You can imagine, right? Verse 17, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Verse 18, now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. There was no coincidence, church, that the Holy Spirit appeared to them on this day. 
It was the fulfillment of the prophecy coming to them from Leviticus and the, and the setting up of a prophecy he was going to do. What happened next, church, is that once that happened, Moses ascended onto the mountain into the cloud to meet with God. Moses ascended into the cloud to meet with God. Remember that. Could come in handy later. Oh, yes, and it was also at the sound of a trumpet. Does anybody remember what happened when Moses was gone? Remember the Ten Commandments? It was just on, right? Did you, we all watched it. I really, really held your feet to the fire to make sure you'd watch it this year, right? Well, let's read Exodus 32, verses 4 and 5. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God. O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. What an odd thing to do. This really stands out to me because you literally just made a false pagan god that had traveled from Babylon to Egypt. You went, you were freed by the Lord, the true Lord, went into the wilderness, made, a, a, brought, made out of gold, melted it down that the Lord had given you to bless you with. You made an idol and you said, tomorrow, let's have a feast to the Lord. I don't know, maybe Aaron was trying to put a better face on the situation by declaring it a feast, but... Church, just saying something, I think there's something for us in this, because just saying something honors the Lord doesn't make it so. I want you to hear me on this, okay? Just saying something honors the Lord doesn't make it so, especially when it flies directly in the face of his word. This is a lesson that we need to remember regarding the excuses that we want to make for ourselves. A lot of times we'll, we, can, we can validate and justify our own perspectives and decisions and lifestyles and somehow cobble up a way that it honors the Lord. I'm capable of doing it. I certainly was at one point in my life. Anybody else? We need to, we need to understand, church, that saying something honors the Lord doesn't make it so. We also need to understand this because we're living in a culture right now where many people want to cling to the nostalgia of Christianity. Hear my heart on this. They want to cling to the nostalgia of Christianity, uh, cling to the nostalgia, uh, nostalgia of, of their Christian roots while implementing an entirely new progressive system of values. We're witnessing that in the church today. And a large scale. And individuals, we want to cling to the, I'm still a Christian, I'm still a Christian, yet we're implementing new progressive values in our own lives and in our hearts. And I don't know if I should say our even anymore. It matters, church. Let me go on record and say this. It matters how the church handles the issues of critical race theory. I don't know if that's, that's not popular to talk about in the pulpit anymore. But it matters how the church handles issues of cancel culture. It matters how the church handles the issues of the LGBTQ movements. It matters. 
Just saying something honors God doesn't mean that it honors God. When it flies directly in his face, and Aaron said, hey, here's a false idol. Tomorrow's the feast day to the Lord. Jesus wasn't a communist, guys, all right? Amen? Amen? Jesus wasn't a communist, and we don't have to pretend that he was. All right? You know that communists are atheists. The true communist, if you've never read it, you should read the manifesto. The goal is to get rid of all religion. Jesus was not a communist. Exodus chapter 32, 17 through 20. We're going to read 17 and 20, and then 25 through 29 to move, all right? And then when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but I hear the sound of singing. So it was, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands, the first man to break all Ten Commandments, right? He cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Verse 20, and he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Whew, man. Verse 25 through 29. Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, and this is important, for Aaron had not restrained them, which, by the way, he was the priest of the camp, right? Like the pulpits of today's churches not restraining. Amen? It's how I always say, you know, the hardest thing about being a parent is disciplining my children. I love my kids. It's no fun. It would be way easier not to discipline my children, right? But if you love your children, you discipline your children. The pulpits don't want to discipline the children of God anymore. They don't want to bring correction because it's not fun. You could offend somebody, right? They might not come back. You could lose a tithe. All of that, church. Mm. For Aaron had not restrained them. Let's keep going to their shame among their enemies. Verse 26, Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Verse 27, And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to the entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Underline that. Underline that. Remember that if we're reading. Then Moses said in verse 29, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Okay, putting a closing on this first uh, Point, which was much longer than the points to follow. <laughs> Three things to remember. 
Three things to remember. We have this graphic. Keys to remember from this first point relative to our next point. 3,000 people died on the first Pentecost, the day that the law was first given. It was on the third day, remember? It was in the morning, remember? He descended in fire, remember? How is this relevant to the first church then? Well, on the 40th day of the counting of the Omer, the counting of the weeks, something happened. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. This is Jesus commanding the first church, the disciples, but to wait for the promise of the Father. I wonder what that is. What is the promise of the Father? Which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus told them what was coming right here. A Holy Spirit baptism was coming, church. And he called it the promise of the Father. But what does that mean? What is this promise of the Father? It means what was about to happen had previously been promised. That's all, that's all I can get out of it right now, right? Well, let's take a look at three verses real quick in Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 3, and Ezekiel chapter 36. Let's just take a look at them. Then I looked, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4 of Ezekiel. Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself. And brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like a color of amber. Out of the midst of the fire. Out of the midst of the fire. Ezekiel 3, verse 12 through 13. So remember, whirlwind out of the midst of the fire. Ezekiel 3, verse 12 through 13. Then the Spirit, uh, then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. Verse 13. I also heard the noise of wings of the living creatures that touched one another and the noise of the wheels beside them, and a great thunderous noise. We, we heard this on the, mount, on the mountain, didn't we? And now we're getting this prophesied to us in Ezekiel. Let's do the one more, verse, uh, chapter 36, verse 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Hmm. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put, what? What's that say? My spirit, my spirit I will put within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Do you see the descriptive words here, church? The Jews had read Jewish people had read these scriptures for 1,500 years. 1,500 years. So they waited, they waited, and the day came. It came 10 days later from when Jesus ascended on the 40th day of the counting of the weeks, the counting of the seven sevens. On that 50th day, came something that we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. 
when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly, verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. What did it sound like, church? Come on now. As of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 3, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, before we move on from that, I'm going to jump up to verse 42 here in just a second. Let's see this graphic again. Remember this graphic of things to remember, keys to remember from our first point that was relevant to this, our second point? 3,000 died on the first Pentecost, the day that the law was first given, on the third day in the morning, descended in fire. A lot of descriptive words correlating here, okay? Uh, Acts chapter, let's read now Acts chapter 2, verse 41. What about that number, 3,000? We haven't come across that yet. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized that day. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Everything in the Word of God is type and shadow. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, church. These are the fingerprints of God that are all over this sacred holy book, church. There's so much for you in it. It's type and shadow. What he has done before, he will do again and in the same way. Why? So you'll know it's him. So there'll be no question that it's him. It's his signature throughout the scripture. He's showing you that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. One and the same. And guess what? If his promises were good then, his promises are good today, church. And they will come to pass. Can we see our three points graphic one more time? So this day, obviously very relevant to ancient Israel, obviously very relevant to the first church that had just experienced everything we just read. But guess what, church? It is relevant to you as well. I mean, hopefully you can already see why this is relevant to you. You being the church, right? You are vessels by which the Holy Spirit travels now on this plane. As we study Bible prophecy, we recognize that the Holy Spirit is the great restrainer of evil in this world. Well, where does the Holy Spirit reside? In you. So who's supposed to restrain evil in this world? You, church, you are the fulfillment of prophecy. Mm. But there's also more here. Shortly after being filled, the church ran out into the streets, didn't they? They ran out into the streets showing off their new talents, right? Speaking in tongues to many different people. A, a, a city that was full of foreigners, they spoke in different languages, speaking Jewish people speaking in Portuguese, Spanish, the 70 different languages that there are speaking in these different languages. And the people there, they couldn't believe, how is a person of Judea speaking my native tongue, of all things, and declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach? Mm, 
people were amazed. They were amazed, so amazed that 3,000 came to a saving faith that day, and also so amazed that some thought that they were drunk. An accusation to which Peter replied with this in Acts chapter 2, verse 15 through 21. Let's read it. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So what, what time of day was it? Morning. There we see correlations again, right? Third day, third hour, morning. Verse 16. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and the signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, verse 20, and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, say it with me, shall be saved. This is a prophecy about the end times, okay? So Peter is standing up there saying, this is happening now, and it will happen again. So he's, he's referencing in that moment an end times prophecy, tying it together, okay? Peter is standing in the fulfillment of a prophecy that goes all the way back to Sinai, immediately draws a line from that moment to the end times. It kind of makes me think that Pentecost is relevant for the end times church, huh? which hopefully is you. So why might that be relevant? I want to give you a a few different allusions today to Pentecost that I think are relevant and I don't have time to get into today, but... I think are relevant to us prophetically. So can I see this uh, graphic? Pentecost, Pentecost illusions. It was the sixth day of Seven. A lot of different things, significant things, happened on this day throughout history. Uh, we studied through the book of Jude and studied a lot about Enoch and all of that pre-flood world and all that. Well, this was Enoch's birthday. It was also the day that he was raptured. The day that the first rapture ever occurred on earth, this was also the day King David died. Some say the day he was born as well. This was Boaz and Ruth's wedding day as well. So interesting that in Leviticus, it's tied by saying, hey, in regards to the Feast of Pentecost, leave the gleanings. Because you remember what Ruth and Naomi did? So go all the way back to Leviticus 23, verse 22. Leave the gleanings. That's relevant to... Naomi and Ruth taking the the gleanings, but it's also the anniversary, traditionally kept by the Jewish people, of Boaz and Ruth's wedding day. So that would be about 3,305 years ago from today. Many estimate, we say happy anniversary to Boaz and Ruth up there, right? 
the day that Moses ascended into a cloud to see God at the sound of a trumpet. It's a day of wedding and resurrection. Jews view this day as the time God betrothed himself to Israel. Because why? He gave the law. He betrothed himself to Israel. They became a nation that day. Technically, the last trumpet of the festival year is sounded on this day. And Psalm 67, by the way, is traditionally read every day during the counting of the Omer, these 49 weeks. Every day the Jews will read Psalm 67, a psalm that has exactly seven verses and 49 words mirroring the seven weeks of the counting of the weeks. Is there a correlation relevant to us with 1967 in that? I don't know. It's conjecture, but it's interesting. And then Pentecost, is there a Jubilee year connection there? Could be. 50 days means completion. Is the Lord looking to complete something on Pentecost one day? I told you we were only scratching the surface on this stuff today, didn't I? I did. So I began the day with this statement. Let me read it again to you, okay? I said... On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit transformed the world. He transformed the world, galvanized the first church, and began a work that continues to this day. I said the presence of the Holy Spirit changes things. He changes your heart. He changes your circumstances. He'll change your life if you'll let him, church. Today is a day of transformations. Can I see those three points one more time? A day of transformations. For Israel, an enslaved nomadic people, wanders the wanderers of the desert, he transformed them into a nation with laws, a people bound together by a shared religious, deep religious conviction that they were set apart by God for a purpose and for a destiny. That's pretty transformative, isn't it? For the first church, he transformed them from persecuted, grieved, confused, uncertain of what would happen next. Can anybody identify with this? He transformed them into empowered, emboldened, birthed into their destiny and filled with the purpose they were willing to die for, and every single one of them did. That's power. That's life-changing, church. And as far as you, what's he transforming you into? What has he transformed you into? Well, that's up to you, isn't it? The Holy Spirit is a gentleman as well. He doesn't force your hand. This is the day, church. This is the day, the time of deep spiritual introspection, the period of time since Holy Week of deep spiritual introspection comes to an end. It's time to come out of the cocoon and be who you were created to be. Amen? Amen.
God is good. So, let me leave you with one more thing. I've got a little time here today. This is rare, so I'm going to share something. I didn't know if I'd have time to share this with you. But I want to share with you one more jewel of relevance for you Bible studiers and lovers of the Word, okay? Is there something to that 49-day count, the seven sevens, right? Could it be a key of some kind? Well, there's something pretty cool here in regards to the numbers of the Omer 49 and 7. So uh, using the numbers given to be counted until the Feast of Pentecost, okay? So we all know that the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. We've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? I know some of you have seen this before, but a lot of you have not seen this. I'm excited to show you. If you take, can I see this first graphic? If we take in the book of Genesis letters in intervals of 49 letters, it spells the word in Hebrew, Torah, over and over again. Torah, over and over again. If you do the same thing in the book of Exodus, it spells the same thing over and over again. Torah, which is the law, right? Which is the first five books of the Bible. Now let's go into the next graphic. If you do the same thing in the last two books of the Bible, Numbers and Deuteronomy, you take the 49 interval, uh, 40, the, the letters in 49 letter intervals, but you do it backwards, it spells Torah backwards over and over again. Isn't that weird? So one is going, one is going this way, and one is going this way, and it's as if they're both pointing to the book of Leviticus. Well, let's go to the next graphic. In the book of Leviticus, if we take, we have that number 49, right? Well, let's take the other number. What is it? Seven sevens. Let's take that number seven. If you take Hebrew letters in seven-letter intervals, it's, it repeats the name of God our Father, Yahweh, over and over and over again. I don't know what to do with it. I don't, does anybody know what to do with that? That's pretty cool, though. I, to me... If this isn't God saying, look here, I don't know what is, right? There's obviously something for the believer, for his children in here, where he gave the feasts of the Lord, which were prophetic of what he, was, what he had done and what he was going to do for Israel, for the first church, and for you. Church, I'll invite Leith up, and we'll close here this morning. Like I said, as we close today, we are closing a time of introspection. Maybe you haven't done that yet. Maybe this morning is your moment of deep spiritual introspection. I hope you do it. I hope you take a look in this morning. Because this is the day. This is the day for Israel. This was the day for the first church. And this can be the day for you. To step in to who you were created to be and be who you were created to be. If you've not put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've not cried it out and said, all my hope is in you, Jesus, I put my trust in you, myself, my eternity in your hands, in the finished work of the cross, in the empty tomb, 
Because as we've studied in Ephesians, the moment you do that, your heart is sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, the guarantor of your inheritance eternally in the kingdom of God, becoming his fully legally adopted heir. That's who you were created to be. So much of our culture, we raise our children to say, what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to be when you grow up? As if that's what fulfills their destiny. That's not what fulfills your destiny. What fulfills your destiny is when you become who you were created to be and who that is is his. After that, it's just what are you going to do for the kingdom till he comes? So let's do this with every eye closed and every head bowed. If you're here this morning, the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart. There's breakthrough for you. There's breakthrough for you in your circumstances, in your relationships, whatever it is, in your life, in your mind. There's liberty. This is a day of transformation, and it can be for you. If you need to lay anything down at the foot of the cross this morning, I should say the foot of the throne, because he's not on the cross anymore. Lay it down at the foot of the throne. Just raise your hand. I want you to raise. Nobody's looking around. This is just you, me. You're, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just give it to him this morning and speak that transformation. Welcome that transformative power of the Holy Spirit into your life this morning. Don't hold anything back. Maybe you've been trying to call things holy in your life that just because you say it so doesn't make it so, right? Maybe you need to lay those things down. If that's you, raise your hand, give it to God. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Transformation. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord Jesus, I pray that you see the hearts of your people here this morning, Lord. We too come to you humbly but boldly and ask for your transformative power, Lord Jesus, to work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, come. Make a path for us, Lord, where there is no path. Rivers in the wilderness, God. Paths in the wilderness, God. Let us be what we were created to be, Lord. All our hope is in you, and we need you, God, to be who we were created to be. So we surrender that to you. And if you're here today, and you've never surrendered your heart to God, you've never put your faith and trust in the finished work of the cross and the empty tomb, you've never trusted him with your eternity, if that's you here today... Raise your hand. You can put it right back down. We're going to pray with you this morning. And if you're watching online, I want you to pray this with us this morning. Let's say it all together as a church this morning. Repeat after me. Family, say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that you rose from the grave on the third day. Lord, come into my heart. Move in my life. Make me new. Transform me into what you created me to be, which is yours, simply. 
in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May you go in grace and prosper in all you do. May you go baptized, washed in the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit this morning. Amen? Amen. We love you guys.